the boards in front of the 200. Dr. Grayson, Sedestin are challenging and better loosen up on the extreme outside. Sedestin and better loosen up have come away. They're fighting it out. Better loosen up on the extreme outside is roaring clear and better loosen up wins the Sajano. Sedestin second. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Pride's Easy Feed. The Hunter was a big hit from the inaugural running in 2019. The winner was the talented Mayor Savatiano in the Godolphin Blue, written by James McDonald. Savatiano won 12 all up, including several at group level, but this was her biggest prize money achievement. The Mayors struck again the following year when the John Thompson train sweet deal scored a gutsy win for Nashua Willer. The Casino Prince Mayor has four Group 3s on her CV, but is best remembered for her win in the Hunter. In 2021, it was the recently retired Lost and Running for John O'Shea and Hugh Bowman. Coming off a fourth in the Everest and a second in the Classique Legend, Lost and Running travelled wide all the way, but was far too good for Wonder Bar and top ranked. And last year, Godolphin struck again with Valana. Coincidentally, a half-brother to the first Hunter winner, Savatiano. A son of hallowed crown, Valana won a couple of Group 3s, but this was his biggest payday and made it two Hunters for Nash Ruilla. The fifth edition will be supported by the Beaufort for Max Lee's two-year-old classic and the Group 3 Spring Stakes. It's the Newcastle Jockey Club's Day of Days, Saturday, November the 18th. Only a handful of people realised the significance of the win by Kiss the Colours in a 1,000 metre maiden at the Sapphire Coast on July 30. In leading throughout, the speedy filly brought up win number 500 for hard-working jockey Jess Taylor, who's made the most of limited opportunities since the commencement of her career 12 years ago. It was her great friend, trainer Teresa Baitup, who told her a week earlier that she was sitting on 499 wins. Is it any wonder she cuddled the Joe Cleary trained filly in front before dashing away on straightening for home with the race in her keeping? As chuffed as she must have been, Jess treated the occasion with the same calm professionalism that has become her trademark. This lady doesn't like to make a fuss. She simply honours all commitments and gets on with the job of trying to win races for the owners and trainers who lend her loyal support. Like most of our successful female riders, Jess Taylor's equine obsession began in Pony Club on the Central Coast, transitioned into the show ring and eventually to riding track work for several Gosford trainers. She moved swiftly when an apprenticeship came up with Albert Stapleford, who would later give her every opportunity to develop as a jockey. Then came a transfer to Mark de Montford at Warwick Farm, where several other trainers would recognise her talents and her work ethic. The girls have announced their presence all over Australia in recent years, with a huge number based in New South Wales. I'd like to welcome one of the most talented and one of the most respected, Jess Taylor. Congratulations on 500 wins, a wonderful milestone. Thanks, John. It's a pleasure to be talking to you. My pleasure, Jess. Now, that's almost three months ago. You're probably up around 5'10 by now, I'd imagine. 
Yeah, I'd say so. I've had a little bit of purple patch lately, so it'd be something something around there, yeah. You got a surprise recently when Teresa Baitup told you you were only one win short. Yeah, I had no idea. I, I don't really take take notice of it much, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it was um, it was pretty exciting to to get over that milestone, and yeah, it felt pretty good. Kiss the colours was the filly to get you over the line. She led quickly from barrier one. And I'll bet you were thinking, God, I hope they leave me alone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd ridden her once the prep before and she was still a little bit immature that time. She'd sort of dropped out and, and wasn't able to finish off. But after a spell and coming back, she, she obviously uh, matured a little bit and she, she's got a bit of pace, that filly. She's, there's not many that are quicker than her in that first sort of two or 300 metres. Um, mm. she, um, she sort of puts a space on them and, and has that high cruising speed. But, no, she kicked away really nicely to win and it was um, – it was really great to get get the win for Joe Cleary. He's been a massive supporter of mine. But um, mm. but uh, yeah, I know Teresa was definitely hoping I'd do it on one of hers because, as I said, she's she's been pretty solid to me for for a long time now, and, and she is she's a really good friend, and mm. and uh, I can't can't thank her and her connections enough. She's she's been really good for me and really loyal. Joe must have been tickled pink. Did he have anything to say to you? I don't think Joe was there to be honest. Mm. Um, I think I just called him after the race. Yeah, now he's super happy happy with the filly and, and um, he found a great race for her next start at, at Queanbeyan on a home track over 900 and, as I said, she, she led him over over the 900 by about three or four lengths and, yeah. and won easy. So, she um, yeah, she backed it up the next start as well. You're not the type to be pumping the fist and doing cartwheels in the saddle <laughs> as some jockeys do, but it must have been a very satisfying moment when you went past the post. Yeah, definitely. Well, actually, to be honest, I think, again, I'd put it out of my mind and, and I didn't realise until um, uh, one of the Sky presenters, I think, just pulled me over for an interview and said, oh, that's 500. And I went, 500 what? Uh, did you? <laughs> um, and he said, 500 winners. I went, oh, yeah, it is too. So, so yeah, it wasn't really on my mind, to be honest, once I went past the post. But, um, but yeah, no, very happy. You know, in every race book, every newspaper lift out and every computer form guide – you're shown as Jay Taylor or Jess Taylor. Does anybody call you Jessica these days? No, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. I find it quite strange when someone calls me that. <laughs> mm. As the stigma associated with female jockeys disappeared completely, or are there still owners and trainers out there who'd rather not put them on? I, I think the stigma... It's, I don't think it's gone completely, but I think it's more – it's not as intentional as it used to be, if that makes sense. It, it's, um, I don't think it's a conscious thing that trainers or, or owners now go, I don't want a female on. I just think that we just have to probably prove ourselves a little bit more to get those opportunities, um, you know, because I think it's, it's definitely apparent now, you know, that – any female that, that really works hard and, and is doing well does get those opportunities now where they probably didn't before. But I think at the at the start, it's still, you, yeah, you, you've just probably got to prove yourself a little bit more than, than maybe the boys do. But mm. as I said, it's definitely come a long way just in, just in the time that I've been riding. You know, only in the last 10 years, I think it's come a long way. Mm. Female jockeys traditionally come from an equestrian background. Rachel King and Cathy O'Hara are still dedicated to the show ring. Now, you and your elder sister, Carissa, had ponies from a very early age. I think your mum had something to do with it. 
Yeah, she always had um, had horses from you know the day we were born. We, she's lived out on the property at Arimba for mm. you know I think thirty five years now. It's, she still owns the place that we grew up on, and and um, yeah, we we always just had ponies around, and and Mum was always an outdoor sort of person, and she was always doing something down at the stables. So if if you wanted to sort of be be around Mum, you had you had to be around the horses. Um, so yeah, that's just the way it was. So we just sort of grew up with them, I suppose, and mm. and. As I said, it it just went from there. We we just took a real interest in it, and it was just something we loved doing. Mm. You were twelve years old when a brilliant pony called Miller came into your life, <laughs> and for the next five years, you and Miller became a dynamic duo on the Central Coast. Yeah, yeah, no, he was um, he was a pretty special pony. He was my first little project that I got to have. From the breaker, um, he was only about 18 months when we got him and then um, he was sent off to the breaker at about two years old and um, and he come back and, and said, yeah, he only spent about six weeks at the breakers. But even before then, I was jumping on him here in the paddock bareback and stuff. He was just, mm. he was super quiet. He was just a little riding pony, but just a great natured little little horse. And as I said, the breaker did a fantastic job, realistically, I didn't have to do much, you know. Um, but yeah, he, he just... As I said, you don't you don't get those ponies come along too often. He he was pretty special because, as I said, he just there wasn't anything you you asked him that he didn't try to do for you. He was mm. he was a great little pony. Yeah. Mm. Well, eventually, a couple of retired racehorses found their way onto the property, and your affinity with thoroughbreds began instantly. Yeah, it was a bit. I still never ever thought I'd be in the racing industry for sure. It was just the fact that you know we never had a lot of money. Um, the, the ponies that we had were all, yeah, from, from that, that pony that I had onwards were, were all uneducated and that was sort of our thing. We, we sort of had them for a few years, educated them and then sold them on for, I say, a little bit of a profit, but they more just paid for themselves, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so getting thoroughbreds off the track, they were, they were cheap. That was pretty much all it was. Um, and, and yeah, as, as you well know and, and everyone in the industry, a lot of the time they are just just given away because someone just wants to find a nice home for them after they've mm. they've finished racing. So um yeah, we, we picked up quite a few thoroughbreds and and turned them over. Um some yeah, some more successful than others, but I, I had a couple mm. of nice ones that, that made a little bit of little bit of money out of them, which was good. Mm. Well, on leaving school at the end of two thousand and eight, fate took you to the Gosford Racecourse, where you were soon riding track work for local trainers. And there was no turning back for little Jess. You were going to be a jockey, by hook or by crook. Yeah, it was a, it was a little bit like that. I, I sort of went there just. Um, I deferred uni. I was accepted into a bachelor of psychology straight out of school, but um, didn't really want to keep going with school. I just wanted to have a break and and um, and you know do a bit of work and earn a bit of money on my own. I'd never really had a job or anything like that. And, I think one of my aunties just sort of said, why don't you go and ride track work? You know, you, you could ride and, um, you know, just for something different. Mm. And that, so that's what I did. I, I went in and, and just sort of asked around if anyone had a job. I actually went into um, Albert's originally and his son Percy sent me over to Charlie Britt and mm. um, he was who I started with first and and his foreman there, Carmen Manane, was, um, yeah, was she's, just, she's been fantastic. She's been a lifelong friend ever since then um, mm. and she, she was really – really sort of showed me the way and, and she was probably the one of the ones that, that really said to me, you know, you, you're light, you can ride, why, why don't you give this a go? And, and obviously her partner, Chris O'Brien, was a 
pretty successful jockey, mm-hmm. um, and so he was he was sort of there always mentoring me as well. Um, but yeah, they've they've been fantastic in the time that I was at Gosford, and, and ever since then I still ride for Carmen. Now she's got a trainer's license and mm-hmm. and just got a small team, but I still ride for her every now and then and, and chat mm-hmm. to Chris all the time. And and yeah, they're they're just really great people. But again, just just who I met along the way, you know. Mm-hmm. It was early in two thousand and ten when you went to become an apprentice with the iconic Albert Stapleford who relinquished his trainer's licence only recently at age 93. Wasn't that a stroke of luck? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I just, um, I, as I said, I started at Charlie Brits and then just went out on my own freelance track riding for the rest of that year. And then, uh, yeah, early in, I think it was 2010, I... Um, yeah, I, I approached Albert for a, an apprenticeship and, and he was happy to take me on, which was a, a, a real honour because, as I said, he's he's done so much for the industry and, and, and in his career. So, um, you know, he was just he was just a lovely guy. He, he really mm. just wanted to help help me, you know, mm. and um, and teach me all, all, all he could sort of thing. Um, but, yeah. but, yeah, no, it was, it was a – he was one of the best bosses I could have hoped for, you know what I mean? I, mm. I actually – when Mark de Montfort offered me – to take me on um, in Sydney, I, I really wasn't keen on it. I just thought, you can't get a better boss than this. <laughs> no, no, that's right. You were spoiled. <laughs> I was. I was very spoiled. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. Well, very fittingly, Albert provided your first race ride and it still pains you to talk about it. Now, Jess, is it true that you got completely lost on a mm-hmm. mare called Tipperit at Cessnock? Yeah, absolutely. She drew wide, and as you know, as soon as you draw wide at Cessnock, you're um, it's it comes pretty hard. I think it was a thirteen fifty maybe, and I think I was four five wide the trip. I don't even really remember it to be honest. It was over that quickly. I just, <laughs> I just, it was um, yeah. As I said, it happened that quick, but I just remember I was pretty wide and got wider as I come around the turn into the straight. Yeah, she didn't run anyway. <laughs> it was yeah. yeah. Well, your first city ride brought huge improvement. You ran second on Make Magic. And Warwick Farm, and I'll bet you thought you were George Moore. I did, yeah. He he was just going there because um, I think Albert had another runner that day that maybe Chris was on, but um, he just sort of basically was was taking that one up for me as a ride around. I don't think he thought he'd actually go any good. He was a funny horse though. He he never really carried weight. He was a big, strong horse, but mm-hmm. he um he never really carried weight well. And so I won a couple on him at Gosford just with the minimum of about 50 kilos. Mm. And I think I rode him at about that in town as well. And, um, and he ran really well. As I said, he, the, the less weight he had, even though the grade was harder, he seemed to seem to step up. But the minute he went somewhere a bit softer with a big weight, he, was, mm. he wasn't very tough. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, Carmen Monane, whose name you mentioned earlier, has the distinction of being the trainer to supply your very first winner. Horse was called Ends of Time on that brand new Tuncurry Foster track. He started favourite, so you were under a bit of pressure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Carmen was great. Uh, from the time I decided to do my apprenticeship, she kept telling me, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you your first winner. I'm going to give you your first winner. And I sort of thought, she only had a really small team. I think she had that horse and maybe one other at the time. But, mm. um, yeah, she. I think she put me on him at uh, Cessnock maybe and I'd run second or third on him. But, um, yeah, there was a bit of pressure that day at Tankari and I, I knew a few of the trainers had backed him as well. So I was feel, I was feeling the pressure seeing that I had about 26 rides by this point and still hadn't ridden a winner. So, mm. but, um, but, no, he was pretty simple horse. He just 
jumped and ran over about a thousand and, and yeah, he'd jump and lead and, mm. and he just got there in the end. I still wasn't confident though. I think I won by about half a length, but Alison Threadwell on my outside, I looked over to her and I said, did I get it? She's like, yeah, good on you, mate. <laughs> now, Jess, you mentioned that degree in psychology that you enrol for at the University of Newcastle's Urimba campus. And when you started that, you were full of vim, vigour and vitality and great ambition, but that didn't last very long. No, it didn't. And I, I don't know if I was that, that uh, into it from the start, to be honest. I, I started the uh, uh, apprenticeship at the same time, just doing trials, of course, but obviously I was doing track work and, and afternoon shifts and I thought I'd be able to do both, but yeah, no, it only lasted about a month. It was, yeah, it's like any typical university uh, degree, you know, there was about two psychology units that I was doing, which I really enjoyed. And then there was a computer course and a biology course that was on plants. So it had nothing to do with people. Mm. But um, <laughs> I, um, yeah, I got bored of that pretty quickly, to be honest. And, and I think I'd never really quit anything before, though. And I was always a pretty good student. So mm. I, um, I battled away with it for a little while. But yeah, I think my mum actually just said to me, she said, if you don't like it, don't do it. You know, there's no point. <laughs> yeah, your and heart I was sort of shocked there. for her to say that. Yeah, mm. yeah. Because both my parents are sort of, you know, were very much like, you know, you, you do well at school and you go to uni. Not, they, they didn't push you by any means, but mm. it was, you know, you go to university and you get a degree and then you'll have a good job. Whereas mm. um, I was probably a little bit apprehensive about telling my dad because, yeah, he, um, he was very much of that opinion. And, and it, you know, I, I think he was a, bit, a little bit nervous about me, you know, just doing a, a jockey apprenticeship as, as a full-time job. We, he, none of us really knew anything about it. Mm. Um, but he was, he's, he was so supportive. I was really shocked the way he's like, is that, is, is that what you really want to do? I'll support you. And that's, that's what all my, my family's always been like. And, mm. and my dad actually, he messages me after every race meeting. If, if I run top three, he messaged me and said, you know, well done on your second, well done on your third, yeah, well done yeah. on your couple of winners. He's, he's been an absolute support, um, the whole time. So, so yeah, no, I've got a, a really great family behind me as well. He's a great dad. Now, Jess, just before we leave Albert Stapleford, you were telling me that he was a man of great patience and compassion. He never, ever pressured you, did he, uh, on race day, either before the race and certainly not after the race. He let the dust settle and then he'd have a quiet yarn with you about it later. Yeah, absolutely. No, I... I never really felt any pressure from Albert at all. It was only the pressure that I put on myself, you know what I mean? I, I wanted to do well for him because he was just – he was so good to me, you know. I just wanted to, to repay that, if anything. As I said, it was just more the pressure I put on myself. But, um, but no, he, he'd always just sit down and, and go through the race with me afterwards. Um, but, yeah, never – yeah, the, as I said, he, he, I'd never even heard Albert raise his voice, you know. He was just a gentle, quiet, unassuming sort of – man you know mm. as I said he he was so good with the horses I you know I just remember he was such a good horseman as well you know yeah um but but yeah no nah, he I remember one day at uh Wong, I think I ran second and I just got beat and I, I still didn't look very strong on him and I said oh if I was just a bit stronger maybe I would have won and he said you don't know that that's why you got four kilos might not have won anyway it's, it's run, yeah. only run second because you got four kilos off its back so yeah, yeah. that was you know what I mean he just always made you feel good good about it you know mm. um yeah no. Katie Power is your partner, your manager and your statistician. And Katie says you had a total of 229 race rides for Albert for 21 wins and 56 placings. You earned your keep. 
Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I hadn't really looked at the stats, but that that sounds about right. And and yeah, I've, that, that makes me pretty happy to, to to know that I've earned my keep. To be honest, like I said, I um I always just wanted to to make Albert sort of proud for sure. Mm. Well, in 2013, you rode two winners one day at a Dubbo meeting, and you rode them both very well. Now, Mark de Montfort happened to be there that day with runners of his own and he saw your two winning rides. It was about a week later, he gave you a ride on a filly called Tory Girl at Canterbury. Now, she wasn't placed, but he was very pleased with that ride and it prompted him to put a proposal to you a short time later. What happened? Yeah, he'd, he'd rung me, like I say, about a week after uh, riding the couple of winners at Dubbo and, and um, you know, just said, yeah, he, he was impressed with my riding and, and if I wanted to to transfer to him. And, yeah, as you say, he gave me that ride on, on Tory Girl and, and offered a, to, you know, if I moved my apprenticeship to him in Sydney, um, and which was something that had just never crossed my mind. I, mm. I sort of said to him, um, I'm going to have to think about it, to be honest. As, as I said, Albert was just such a great boss and I was – pretty content, I suppose, just in, in where I was at. Um, but it was actually, yeah, my partner at the time, Katie Power, that sort of said, you know, what have you got to lose? Just go on loan for three months and if you don't like it, you can always just come back. But mm. it's an opportunity um, that, you know, you really probably should take. And as I said, I wasn't one for getting out of my comfort zone back then, but I'm, I'm glad I did and I'm, I'm glad she pushed me to do that because, yeah, mm. it probably changed, changed the trajectory of my career. I don't know if I really would have mm. stuck with it um, at Gosford, you know, Albert was a big support, but I really wasn't getting much support of any other trainers. Mm. Um, but since moving to, to Mark de Montfort, it's, I've had a really successful career out of it for sure. Mm. Well, you still had a three kilo city claim when you got to Warwick Farm and you were very fortunate to be able to extend your apprenticeship by 12 months. That was a big help. It was, yeah, Definitely. Definitely. Um, so yeah, I ended up doing two and a half years with Albert, and then two and a half years with um, with Mark. And mm. and um, and as I said, I, I didn't think I could get better than Albert. And I'm definitely not saying Mark was better, but he was he was on the same page. He was a, an extremely good boss, and very lucky to have him. And and just being an ex jockey himself, um, he had a way of reading races that um, that Albert probably didn't didn't quite have. Um, and I just you know, breaking it down and going through it, each sectional and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And and he just, he loved watching races. You know, we'd get in there every morning before track work and, and he'd sit me down and we'd go through races, my races, but then we'd also go through, you know, a ride of Hueys or, or, or someone else's that was had been great or even if they, they weren't so great, we'd go through them and, and, you know, pick them apart on why it was, you know, maybe a bad ride or, or why this was such a good ride. Um, and, yeah, he just had so much knowledge and, and he was just such a good teacher just explaining it and and very similar to Albert there was never there was never any pressure and there was never um you know that he never had a, a he never it was never condescending or anything like that it was always supportive and um yeah it just trying to trying to teach you but not as i said yeah there was there was never a, a harsh word said you know no not overbearing you know no mark de montfort was better qualified than most to be offering advice about riding <laughs> thoroughbreds. He rode yeah. 1,200 winners himself, Jess, which you'd be aware of. He won yeah. 13 Group 1s yeah. and proper Group 1s. He won a Golden Slipper, he won a Doncaster and he won an AJC Derby. Great riding, and, Mark. 
And, and an Epsom, yep, yep. Tremendous record. Your first winner for Mark was Ready, Set, Sing at Kembla Grange, and I'll bet that was a great kick along. Yeah, it was. Mark had a bit of opinion of the horse. I think he was still a two-year-old at the time. He was a big, strong horse, and, yeah, it was, I was definitely happy to get the win for Mark, and, and, yeah, it was just onwards and upwards from there for sure. Mm. You know, I, I called Mark one day and I asked him to give me a quote about you in mm. preparation for this podcast. Now, <laughs> sit back and brace yourself because at mm. the risk of embarrassing you, Jess, <laughs> this is exactly what he said. And I quote, Jess has a good tactical brain. She's a good judge of pace. She can read a race in running and she's as strong as most blokes in a tight finish. Unquote. What do you think of that? <laughs> I, yeah, I, it's very humbling to hear. It, it is, as I said, and, and I just, that's the kind of bloke Mark is, you know what I mean? He's just, he's always been such a supportive person and, and even, you know, well after my apprenticeship, he's, you know, he's always someone that I'd ring and ask for advice and that's the thing, he's always there, you know what I mean? He's, mm. he's always been there for me and, yeah, no, that's, it's very humbling. Mm. My special guest is Jess Taylor. I'll just get you to stand by, Jess. We're going to clear a commitment on the podcast and we'll be back with you after this. Many Australian trainers have tried their horses on Pride's Racing Cube and have given the product a tick of approval. These small but powerful extruded cubes provide the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses finish their races off while promoting gut health. Racing Cube set recipe formulation means the same premium quality proteins and essential amino acids are used in every batch produced. Racing Cube's profile and digestibility allows you to feed approximately two to three kilos less per day than similar raw grain rations. It's salt-free to help reduce irritation if you've got a horse prone to stomach ulcers. Pride's Racing Cube is available in the popular 25 kilo bag, in bulk bags, or straight into the silo if you prefer, giving you quality equine nutrition at an economical price. Talk to your local rep about Racing Cube, another winner from the Pride's Easy Feed Stable. Trainers of thoroughbreds, standardbreds, and performance horses are giving it the thumbs up all around the nation. Jess Taylor, am I correct in saying that your first city winner was Forbidden Jewel at Warwick Farm about nine years ago for Scott Singleton? Yep, you'd be absolutely correct at Warwick Farm. Yeah, she um, she was a nice little horse for Scott. And, and again, Scott was one who'd, who really uh, supported me through my apprenticeship and, and had a lot of luck for him. So it was really good for to get the win for him. But, but yeah, it was... Um, it was a bit of up and down day. I finally rode my first city winner after having quite a few rides in town. Mm. And then uh, Winona, who sort of, I think she'd come to, um, she'd been riding in town a little bit as well and um, hadn't quite cracked the city winner yet. And then about three races later, she rode a city winner too. So mm. <laughs> stole my thunder. <laughs> right, and you've remained good friends. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Winona's one of my great friends. She's just She's such a um, a loyal person and, and just a really great person and an incredible rider. You know, she yes. she lives and breathes the game and, and deserves every opportunity. She's such a hard worker and mm. I can't, I couldn't speak highly enough of her. She's mm. yeah, she's a good person. You would have noticed she had three or four rides at Mooney Valley on Cox Plate Day. Yep, yeah, no, absolutely. No, she's been doing really well down there since she's transferred down to um 
to Melbourne for the Spring Carnival, especially such a hard time as well. But she's getting the opportunities, which, as I said, just it just doesn't surprise me. She's such a hard worker, and when people start to recognise that, yeah, she she um I hope she gets the opportunities just she deserves because she's she's a brilliant rider. Your talents came under the notice of other Warwick Farm trainers during that stint. You rode a number of winners for Gary Portelli, for Mark Connors and for Jason Coyle and the latter has given you great support. Yeah, no, um, Gary and, and Mark definitely uh, supported me early days. I had a lot of, lot, a lot of luck for um, Gary as an apprentice and, and I was really um, grateful for those opportunities he gave me pretty much as soon as I went to, to Warwick Farm and, and same with Mark, uh, sorry, Mark Connors. Um, had a lot of luck for him too. But Jason I sort of started ride for just probably at the end of my apprenticeship and then just um, when I came out of my time, started to ride for him a little bit more. I was riding a bit of track work there and that sort of stuff and he started to give me some really good opportunities and he's um, he's been, yeah, really loyal since and was, um, yeah, gave me my first um, listed winner, which was which was fantastic. Oh, I remember the race. It was called the Winter Stakes at mm-hmm. Rose Hill. Philly's name was slightly sweet and in a big finish, you scrambled home from Cathy O'Hara's mount, man of his word. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, no, it was um, it was pretty special. The filly was flying at the time, and um, I think she'd run a couple of thirds in similar class races leading up to it. And uh, she'd drawn a little bit awkward, but uh, Jason just said, you know, give, give her a dig out and, and just find try and be somewhere with cover. And I think I think I'd out three wide with cover, and mm. I think I got on the back of Tim Clark, who was four wide in front of me coming around the turn. I just got a beautiful, just beautiful card into it, and I was able to just to straighten up and peel off his back, and and she let down enormous, and, and as you say, it was it was a tight finish, but um, she got the job done, and it was a really it was a brilliant day for me. I'll, I'll never forget that day, and and that filly was just she was just a really really nice filly. Mm. Well, Group One rides are like hen's teeth, but you have competed on the big stage four times. The first was on a filly called Cambridge or Cambage, to be technical. In the 2017 Australian Oaks, won by Bonneville. She started at 100 to 1. Jess, but who cares? It was nice to be asked. Absolutely, yeah. Again, for Scott Singleton, like I said, he was, he's been a sort of massive support the whole way through. And um, yeah, it was a big thrill for him to put me on in a group one. So, like you say, the price didn't matter. It was. It was definitely the experience that, um, that yeah, I won't forget, but that's for sure. But, um, but yeah, no, I've had a couple since and not that any of them have gone very well, but it's, it's been, um, yeah, it's been a pleasure to be able to ride in them still. Mm. Your day of days in 2020 was Epsom Day at Randwick. You rode in two Group 1s on the program. You rode Girls Are Ready in the flight stakes for Joe Cleary and this is an interesting one. You rode Le Jug in the Epsom for Chris Waller. You were one of very few jockeys, experienced jockeys in Sydney, able to make the weight. Now, both horses were unplaced at very long odds, but it was a hell of an occasion for young Jay Taylor. Yeah, definitely. As I say, you get the opportunity in two group ones. Um, and, um, yeah, as I say, it was a, a pretty big day and, and um, yeah, as much as they didn't go any good, it was it was still great to have those opportunities and, and I'm pretty fortunate being a natural lightweight that, um, yeah, I don't need much notice to ride those those sort of under 50 kilos or 50 kilos sort of thing. It's It, it comes pretty natural. So I'm, I'm yeah. at full strength when I ride it too and, and generally don't even need a dot saddle. So, oh, <laughs> so no. um, yeah, no, it's 
it's, it was good. And um, no, again, I um, I'm thankful for the opportunities I've had for sure. Now, Jess, given sufficient notice, what is the absolute lightest weight you could manage in one of those Epsoms or Doncasters down the track? Uh, at the moment, I'm walking around about 48 kilos, so I could probably do, yeah, and 47 if I've tried. <laughs> yeah, goodness me. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's good to know, and... I know there are trainers around Australia listening to the podcast who are going to make note of that. <laughs> now, we're not finished with your Group 1 experience yet. Your closest finish at that level was a cracking fifth in Probabil's Epsom, beaten only a length and a half on Looks Like Elvis. On his day, Jesse is a very smart old horse, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, just riding track work this morning. He still still feels mm. feels good, and he still thinks he's um probably younger than what he is. He was having a bit of a play and muck around this morning, but mm. but no, that was that was just unreal to get the opportunity. I think I, I hadn't long been back from the injury when I hurt my back, and mm. um, Jared approached me with um, Jim, the owner, to um to see if I could yeah make the weight and and ride him. I think he had the fifty kilos in the Epsom, and I was pretty excited. He he was going pretty well at the time, and he drew not a bad gate and uh, when I looked at the speed map I was just getting up in a lovely spot which is exactly what eventuated I think I was midfield one off and mm. the tempo of the race was just really nice he relaxed beautifully in the run and I said I just got a, a beautiful card into the race from the top of the straight and um and yeah I got a bit, a bit excited at the top of the straight he let down super but um yes. probably, probably was just a bit better but even so to run fifth like say only beating a length and a half it was mm. it was a big thrill and and I was I was super wrapped with the effort of the horse and, and a great effort uh, training effort by mm. by Jared and, and a real thrill for Jim, I think, too. So, no, it was, it was a great day. Like most jockeys, you've had more than your share of accidents. There were two of them in 2016 that you'd rather not think about, one on top of the other. Now, the first was in the Hawkesbury Mounting Yard, of all places, when a horse moved suddenly just as you were being legged up. You landed badly and you broke a wrist. Yep. Yeah, that was a little bit embarrassing, that one, when you, it was uh, on TV as well because, yeah, she was just a little bit headstrong in the mounting yard and I got legged up and she sort of stepped left as I was being sort of thrown on mm. and um, their centre of gravity took me straight over the other side and uh, as I landed, her her back end just came around and she sort of trod on my um, my arm uh. and, um, yeah, she it was a compound fracture to the radius there and, um I'd never actually broken a bone before that. I'd, in the amount of times I've been around horses, and mm. I'd never actually broken a bone. So I sort of got back up, just a bit embarrassed, and went to get straight back on, and then mm. felt a bit lightheaded and thought I'd better sit, better sit down for a minute. <laughs> well, you were lightheaded again at Gosford. You'd been back five minutes. You were shattered to learn you'd broken the same wrist again. I think a horse, soon after the start, crashed through the running whale with you at Gosford, wasn't it? Yes, yes, it was. She drew barrier one and she'd, she'd had trials before. I, I can't remember if she had a race start or not, but I'd ridden her in the trials and, mm. you know, never looked like she was horse shy, but I don't know what it was that day. There was no real pressure from the outside. They were just coming across, um, giving me plenty of room, but mm. she just decided to take a, a sort of right-hand turn straight into the running rail and, and then crashed through it and brought herself down and, and we sort of slid for a, a you know, a couple of metres and, yeah, I just lay there going, mm, yep, 
I broke my wrist this time. I'm, I'm fully aware of what's happened. It was it was a lot more painful. It was like my body went. I know I know what this is, and um, yeah. yeah, no, that one that one was a lot more painful. I, I still had the plate in from the old one, so um, mm. yeah, it, it fractured just above it. I think. Mm. Jess, perhaps your worst accident had nothing at all to do with the race fall, although it did involve a thoroughbred. Now this happened at home when you were living at Pheasant's Nest, twenty uh, twenty, in fact. Now, with a dressage saddle and long stirrup leathers, you jumped on a retired racehorse called Tsunami Alert to give him a canter around the paddock. Now, he hadn't been worked for about 10 days, but he'd been on soft feed and you certainly didn't expect any problems. But you were in for a hell of a shock. What happened? Yeah, he was... It was a bit out of the blue. He'd, he'd sort of been going along pretty well. And as I said, he, he probably had about 10 days off. Um, and the arena was actually flooded. We'd had a fair bit of rain, so I was just working him out in the paddock and just popped into the canner. And he, he felt a little bit humpy, but I wasn't too worried about it. As I said, he'd never really looked like um, pig rooting or anything like that. Mm. But, um, yeah, I, I probably should have been a bit more on top of him. I sort of let him do it for a stride. And then in the, in the next stride, he, he really actually buried his head and, and put in a decent one, and it just unseated me a bit that it was enough that I lost an iron. And mm. then he was a pretty flighty horse, so then that, that sort of spooked him, and he took off across the paddock, pig rooting um, at a pretty much a bolt, <laughs> and I was just a bit out of control. Yeah. And he got to the fence line, and, and he obviously turned to avoid the fence, and, and it just flung me straight into a fence post and, uh, yeah, fractured fractured my back and, um, yeah, I think a rib, and um, I think I had a punctured lung and, it was a few, th- few few things happening, but, yeah, oh, that dear. was probably my worst one, yeah. Oh, dear me. You were in the hands of Dr David Duckworth, who does a tremendous job. He diagnosed transverse process fractures of three vertebra, requiring no surgery, thank goodness. You had a slight liver laceration and you had a partial pneumothorax or collapsed lung. So, you know, in hindsight, it could have been worse and you were back in record time. Yeah, well, I wasn't getting compo then, John, <laughs> so I had to be. <laughs> oh, dear, yeah. So, no, well, obviously being an injury at home, um, you know, and, and I was a sole income earner because um, Katie obviously managed me, but if I'm not working, we, mm. we didn't have any, any money coming in. We, we had a fair amount of savings, like not to say, you know, I was stressing that badly. As I said, we, we had a good lot of savings there, but, Mm. Yeah, it still just just was playing on my mind. So I was, um, I think I was back riding track record about five weeks and race riding in about six. But um, mm. but yeah, no, that that one was pretty scary. The way I hit the fence post was kind of horizontal against it being vertical, right in the centre of my back. Yes, yes. The first thing I remember thinking was, can I move my feet? You know, that's all. That's all I was worried. About. I was really winded, and mm. luckily the neighbour was outside at the time, and she heard the commotion and, and comes running straight over, and mm. and she actually she called the ambulance, but um. But, yeah, no, that one was pretty scary for sure. You were very frustrated on coming out of your time to realise that you hadn't ridden a single winner at Royal Randwick during your apprenticeship. Now, Jason Coyle must have known it was getting on your nerves <laughs> because he got one ready for you, a horse called Take Wing, and up you bobbed beating Rachel King on a horse called Napoleon. It was a very important win for Jess Taylor. 
Yeah, it was. It was just, you know, you, you hear a lot of the city jocks talk about Randwick being a, a fantastic track to ride on, which it, obviously it is, but I just never had any luck there. Mm. <laughs> I'd, I'd ridden winners at, you know, at, uh, at uh, Rose Hill and, and Canterbury and Warwick Farm, but I just couldn't crack the Randwick win, and it was very frustrating. But, yeah, I think, um, yeah, that that one was, was good to get that monkey off my back. And then I think only about a week or two later, I got another one for Jason Coyle at Randwick as well, which was, um, which was good. Mm. Got a bit of a roll on then. <laughs> you certainly did. We've already mentioned that Teresa Baitup, the Kembla Grange trainer, is probably your most ardent supporter. She's got tremendous confidence in your ability. And am I correct in saying that you've ridden more winners for Teresa than any other trainer? Yeah, that would be 100% correct. Without even looking at the stats, that would be correct. She's just been a massive support from from the time I came out of my apprenticeship. Um, she came up to me one day at Kembler. I think I was down at the trials and she said, oh, she introduced herself and, and she sort of said, oh, I've, I've been watching you and love the way you ride and I'd really like to start using you. And, and just from then on, it's been a fantastic partnership. And, and as you say, she's just been incredibly loyal and, and so of her owners, you know. Um, that's, yeah, that's just it's been fantastic. So, so yeah, I've, I've definitely ridden the most amount of horses and, and the most amount of winners for Teresa for sure. Mm. Jess, you've made it clear that Winona Coston is possibly your role model among the female riders, but which of the male jockeys have been inspirational to you as you've come through the ranks? Jeez, that's a, that's a, I've never really thought about it, to be honest. I, um, mm. I respect a lot of the boys in the room, you know what I mean, especially the ones that I ride with around the provincials um, on a regular basis. Obviously, Chris O'Brien, when he was riding, was probably my role model at that time. Mm. Um, you know, he was just such a patient rider and had a really good hands in getting a horse to relax and, and that sort of thing. But, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you these days. I, I, I quite admire the way Mitch rides. I think he's very neat on a horse and he, he never sort of looks panicked in a finish or anything like that. So, so maybe Mitch Bell, but honestly, I... Mitchell yeah, Bell. I really respect. Yeah, Mitchell Bell. Yeah, yeah I, I like the way he looks on mm. a horse. But um, but realistically, I, yeah, I really respect all the boys that I ride with. Like I said, especially around the provincials in the country, they um, you know, they're doing just as many k's as I am, and and um, probably more. But um, yeah, and I find them all really competitive to ride against. You know, like it's an unfair I, question. I yeah, it is an unfair question. Yes, I, I, yeah, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you and Katie are raising two very lively kids. We've got Evelyn, who's five, and Noah, who's three. By golly, that must be a juggling act on busy days. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's it's been a bit tricky the last sort of 12 to 18 months. Me, me and Katie have split, so we do a week on, week off with the the um, shared care of the, the kids and um you know, again, I've, I've probably taken a little bit of a step back in the last six months from um, from my riding just to be there for the kids a little bit more. Mm. Um, and, again, I, I, I just can't thank the trainers that have been supportive and, and understanding of my situation now. So, um, but, yeah, me and Katie get along quite well still and, and the kids are they're doing really well. And But, yeah, no, it's, it's full on, that's for sure. But, um, mm. but no, they're, they're, they're unreal, honestly. They're, they're just they're so funny and they're just – their own little personalities and and um, yeah, especially being three and five now, they've um, they've really both grown into themselves. They're both little chatterboxes like me, which um, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so so no, it's been a bit tricky, but yeah, still really enjoying it. And do either of the kids show any liking for horses? 
Yeah, look, my, my daughter's pretty natural around them. She just has no fear, which can be a little bit dangerous sometimes. <laughs> Keep having to try to tell her, you know, they are horses. They are unpredictable, but she's not fussed at all. They, they've got a little pony, Harry, which they do quite enjoy riding. Noah, my son, he's He's always been a little bit more standoffish. He he does like them, but he likes them on his terms. If they sort of get up in his face, he gets a bit upset with them. But <laughs> um, but again, he, he likes riding them as well. So so no, they've both got a little bit of an interest. Mm. Um, I probably don't get out there enough and and do enough with them. I, I sort of you know when I've done you know the races all day, it's, it's yeah. the least thing I want to do on my day off is go and ride ponies again. But I mm. probably should get out there a little bit more with them because yeah, they they both do seem to enjoy it and. Um, and um, yeah, they're, they're both pretty pretty natural on a horse, so we'll see what happens there. I think you've ridden thirty plus winners every season for a decade. Your best season to date, two thousand eighteen nineteen, you rode sixty six winners. You could not stop riding winners that year. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a good year. Obviously, that was the year Evelyn was born as well, and and um, no, it was it was a fantastic year, and obviously my best season, and and I think Teresa had a, a really top that season that year as well, which which obviously helped kick me along too. But but no, it's it's been good. As I said, it's been pretty consistent, and that's what I try to do. Like I sort of I just try to be consistent in my riding and and take every opportunity I can get. Mm. Well, Jess, you're just 32. You're very light. You're very fit, and you're very keen. So I imagine retirement is not even on the horizon. <laughs> not anytime soon, but we'll see. I'm, I'm actually doing a degree in accounting now, which I'm about halfway through. But, but yeah, not, not for the next few years at least, I don't think. I, I'd, I'd like to keep riding for a little while longer for sure. Mm. Well, you've left your mark, Jess Taylor, as a person, a jockey and a friend to many people in racing. It's been a great pleasure to have you on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Thanks for your time. Thanks, John. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. The Hunter was a big hit from the inaugural running in 2019. The winner was the talented Mayor Savatiano in the Godolphin Blue, written by James McDonald. Savatiano won 12 all-up, including several at group level, but this was her biggest prize money achievement. The Mayors struck again the following year when the John Thompson train sweet deal scored a gutsy win for Nashua Willa. The Casino Prince Mayor has four Group 3s on her CV but is best remembered for her win in the Hunter. In 2021, it was the recently retired lost and running for John O'Shea and Hugh Bowman. Coming off a fourth in the Everest and a second in the Classique legend, Lost and Running travelled wide all the way but was far too good for Wonder Bar and top ranked. And last year, Godolphin struck again with Valana, coincidentally a half-brother to the first Hunter winner, Sabatiano. A son of hallowed crown, Valana won a couple of Group 3s but this was his biggest payday and made it two Hunters for Nash Ruilla. The fifth edition will be supported by the Beaufort the Max Lee's two-year-old classic and the Group 3 Spring Stakes. It's the Newcastle Jockey Club's Day of Days, Saturday, November the 18th.